You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, as we continue to walk through uh, this series together looking at the the primary characteristics of the church, um, not just uh, our church, but really the church universal, every church, as we've been talking about in Acts, these are things that um, that should be applied to every church from the beginning of the church in the first century, even until now and until the day that Jesus comes back. And so they're so that they're there before you want to just kind of keep repeating these each and every week and placing them before you. And maybe in case you miss one, you can jot it down. What are the things that are supposed to be a part of every church that we've seen so far in the book of Acts? Number one, dependence on God's spirit. Everything that we do is dependent upon who God is, what he's done and what he ultimately leads us to do by his word and by his spirit as his people to accomplish his mission in doing that. Our message is always Jesus. Jesus is our message. He is not a part of the message. He is not a uh, uh, an intro to the message. Jesus is the message in everything that we do. Third, we have a biblical community. We are not just a social club that gathers together for uh, having a good time and enjoying one another, although we are a group of friends and praise God for that. Um, and yet we have the Bible at the core of our community. This is what distinguishes this body from other bodies around us, that we have the Bible at the very core of who we are. Fourth, we are to have a ministry of healing. We're to be a place of healing whenever sinners come to faith in Jesus Christ, like you and I have done. Southwide ought to be a place that they can come and find healing in their lives. Sometimes that means physical healing, but that's spiritual healing. We want to be a place where sinners find repentance and life change. A ministry of healing. Fifth, supernatural boldness. As we've seen over the last few months, and certainly we will see in the days ahead. This is not a popular message, nor is it a popular life to live. And so there will be days when we have to be extremely bold for our faith and we should be bold. This is a gospel that is worth telling. And so we have boldness about our lives. Generous hearts. We saw that a couple of weeks ago and how we are to be generous in our giving. And that comes from a generous heart within. And God has given us this new heart that loves to give for the sake of his kingdom. And then finally, divine power. 
When God empowers his people and things happen that could not be otherwise explained and that no one else can receive the credit for and God alone gets glory for those actions. That is a, a, a demonstration of divine power among the church. And so we come to the eighth characteristic uh, and really kind of the end of a section of Acts this morning. And this eighth characteristic we see right here in Acts chapter six. So if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter six, beginning in verse one. Now, in these days. When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men Of good repute, reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parnaeus, or Parmenaeus, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word this morning that gives instruction to your church. God, your word that proclaims the gospel through which we are saved. God, thank you for Jesus and his serving us with his life. Giving his life as a ransom that we might be saved. The only way that we can be saved. God, thank you for Jesus, who is the very word incarnate. God, we submit our lives to him this morning and we ask that Jesus, you would speak through your word, our hearts this morning. Remind us of the great gospel through which you have saved us. And then God, remind us of this call upon our lives to be servants. Even as you served us, we want to be servants to one another and to our community because we know that it is through our serving and the preaching of the word that, God, you have chosen to advance the gospel. And so we ask, God, that you would use us in a mighty way for the sake of your kingdom. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. So it says in chapter 6 and verse 1, in those days... It's an interesting thing that Luke does here. Oftentimes he gives us kind of this fast forward button and uh, he skips through some scenes in the early church in order to come to the place where he wants to talk about next. It's kind of the thing that he does here when he says in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. It's a it's a narrative cue. 
We don't know exactly how long it was. Most would agree that this is probably in chapter six. This is probably about five years after Pentecost. So effectively, the church is about five years old here, and they've seen increase after increase after increase as people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. After five years, the church was still growing. More and more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Perhaps this is truly the great awakening whenever the world was coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives. Well, like any church, whenever there is significant growth in the church, uh, the church begins to have problems. <laughs> I mean, this happens, right? Oftentimes, a church begins to grow and all of a sudden, there's a little glitch here and there, or miscommunications or some disorder or something happens and, and somebody's needs aren't met. There's neglect and it begins to creep into the church in fact, this is really the, the very first time we really see any real conflict within the church. If you don't count Ananias and Sapphira that God dealt with very quickly. So in the midst of this growth, a complaint rises up from the Hellenists. that the, the widows of the Hellenists were being neglected in the daily distribution. And that distribution is of food. So who were these people? Who were the Hellenists? The Hellenists were simply Greek-speaking people. Hellenism is just the movement of Greek culture and uh, Greek language across the land. And likely in this passage, these were not Greeks themselves in the sense that they were born Greek out in, in just a Greek, Roman, Greco kind of Roman culture. These were likely Jews because he doesn't call them Gentiles. That word is used often in the book of Acts. He calls them Hellenists. Often this word was used to describe Jews who had been Hellenized. In other words, when their families were scattered because of all of the, 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 the whole conquering by Babylon and all that was happening in the exile, these Jews were scattered and many of them actually were not raised in Jerusalem. They actually were raised outside of Jerusalem in the Greek world and actually picked up Greek names. So in fact, most of the church here was made up of of Jews still, with very few exceptions. Maybe the one exception that we've really even seen thus far is Nicolaus. It said that he's a proselyte. What does that mean? He, he's a Gentile who was converted to Judaism. He's come across the line. And so what that would do is lead us to believe that there were other Jews within the congregation who actually were Greek. And their needs were going unmet. That's what we see as a picture here. In fact, if you look at these other men who are called to serve, what you find is that all of them have Greek names. I think that that is strategy there. That is intentional that they would call these men to serve those whom they knew best. But certainly it does give us a picture into the church, doesn't it? It wasn't a great division. And that's not the way division happens, right? Normally, normally, the church begins to congregate into smaller pockets across natural affinity lines where people who are like one another and share common language and common culture and common heartbeat and common passions, they begin to gather together and do the same things together. This is quite natural within the church and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be hated. It should be something that's embraced. And yet in the same way. 
it actually caused neglect in the church in the same way it can cause neglect in in our church. Natural affinity lines and this kind of distancing. In fact, there's a verse that we like to quote often in order to support a ministry that we love, and that's orphan care. James chapter 1 and verse 27 says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The reason why James has to mention this is because James is leading the church at Jerusalem. The same problem that we see in Acts chapter 6 doesn't ultimately go away. It continues and they have to keep being reminded. And so the story is that the Hellenist widows were being overlooked. It wasn't intentional. I I don't think that it was intentional. We don't see that. It was an unintentional kind of thing. But they were just simply left out. Based on the fact that they called uh, all of the disciples together, they all saw this. All the apostles saw this entire thing as a whole church issue. See, in Jewish society, widows were in particular need. They were in particular dependence. And probably most of them had had seen all the care within the church, the, the concern for one another that we've read about so much about providing for needs financially, physically, spiritually. And these widows were attracted. Listen to this carefully. They were attracted to a community that had multi, that had mutual concern for one another. So they begin to come to faith in Christ when they realize why this community does what it does. And yet there's still need in their lives. So what do they do? They call the whole church together to address this concern over this need. And the apostles in chapter six and verse three, notice it. The apostles say that I want you to call all of these people together. The whole church and then pick out from among them seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. And then they would appoint them to this duty for caring for these widows, the physical needs, the physical concerns of the church in the same way. And this seems to be the context in the same way that the apostles were overseeing the spiritual needs of the church. Now, these men were called to oversee the physical needs of the church. It was their new job. So then the question becomes, who are these men? As I mentioned to you before, they are Greeks. They're selected to minister to the needs of the Greeks. I think that that's strategic. No one would know what these Greeks needed any better than the Greek men that were there among them. But more than that, I think that the text is actually showing us a more fundamental picture of what leadership looked like in the church. And by the way, by extension, what ultimately life looked like in the church. And it's within this leadership example and within the life of the church that we find this eighth characteristic. Now, Acts 6 has been cited as, and by the way, I think rightly so, as the first glance of sorts into the two offices of the local church, namely pastor and deacon. And this seems to be the first deacon selection. So it's been used as an example, a model through which we should select deacons as well. And I, I think that that's done rightly so. 
And it's grounds for a distinction between the office of pastor and the office of deacon in their role. And I think that that's right. We see a general distinction here and we'll come back to that. But what is profound is not what's different about these two groups of people, but what is the same. What we see expressed in both of these offices and in fact, What you're going to see in a moment is expressed among the church body as a whole. The kind of thing that should be a part of our church. So notice what the apostles say here. Notice it here in verse two. Follow along with me. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, I want you to underline a couple of things. You write in your Bible, highlight, circle, whatever it is that you do. It is not right that we should give up. Preaching and the word of God to note, note this word, serve tables. Verse three says, therefore, brothers, and this whole phrase here, pick out from among you seven men of good rep of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Notice in verse four, but we will this whole phrase devote ourselves to prayer And to the ministry of the word. So serve. Pick out from among you seven men. And devote ourselves to prayer. And the ministry of the word. Now the word serve. In the Greek you likely already know this word. It is the word diakoneo. Which is the word from which we get deacon. Right? Diakoneo. It's the same word. It comes from uh, this idea of serving and and waiting on. So the deacon office, though it's not named here, the function of the deacon office is specifically named. But what you might not have noticed is the word ministry at the end there in verse 4. The word ministry is the same word diakonia. It's the noun form of the word. So really, translating this literally, you get devote ourselves to prayer and to the service of the word. In other words, deacons are serving, pastors are serving. They're just serving in two different ways, but under the same objective standard of their lives, they are to be servants. But watch, it's not just, by the way, to put a word on that, servant leadership, servant leadership, servant leadership, universal characteristic of the church. But don't stop there because it's not just about deacons and pastors. Back to that phrase in verse three that I had you note, pick out from among you seven men. And notice he gives some qualifications, good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. They'll appoint them to this duty. But notice what he does not say as a qualification. Be very careful to notice that he does not say good, good servants. Why? Because the expectation is, the assumption is that all of you are serving. In other words, we want to find some men from among these servants 
who can come together and organize this thing, who have wisdom, they're full of the Holy Spirit, they're uniquely of good character, but they're serving just like everyone else, and they just simply rise to lead other servants. If that's not enough, you can look all throughout the first five chapters that we've been in so far, and what do you see? You see, constantly, the church is serving one another. Everyone, together. And deacons just happen now to say, you know what? There's so many of us, we've got to have some structure to this thing. And then the apostles, in view of pastors, overseeing that as well. And then when all of that functions together, if the church is a body of servants. Notice in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7 what happens. When, when the whole church is functioning together like that, chapter 6, verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests came to be obedient, uh, or became obedient to the faith. The whole church serving together, led by leading servants, these people see disciples multiplied again and again to the body of Christ. The gospel is advanced. So maybe to put this in a single truth for you this morning. The church is a body of servants led by servants who care for one another and the community in gospel advancing ways. Let me say that to you again. The church is a body of servants led by servants who care for one another and the community in gospel advancing ways. This is the culture in Acts chapter 1 through 6. But that culture did not come about just simply because, hey, we thought this was a good idea. You know, there were some needs around us and we thought it would be a good humanitarian thing that we serve the world around us. It wasn't even that there was a deep care and concern in the church for people, although that was true. This is because it was built into the DNA of the church. The church, listen to me carefully, did not serve because they originated the idea, but rather because the one who led them came serving them and serving us. Why don't you hold your place there for a moment? We need to see this fresh and new. Go back to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And I want you to hear the words of our Savior again. You are likely familiar with this story. Matthew chapter 20, we're going to be in verse 25, but this story is about two sons who came to Jesus with their mother, the sons of Zebedee, and they wanted to be first in the kingdom. Seems like it's a worthy uh, request. Uh, Jesus, I want to be sitting right you, right by you in heaven. How many of you want to be sitting right beside Jesus in heaven? Yeah, it's a great place for us to be. We want to be right there by Jesus. But Jesus senses in them this ulterior motive to be first in the kingdom. And he takes an opportunity among them to teach them. And he tells them that it is not their duty to be first in the kingdom. And listen to what he says. This is chapter 20 and verse 25. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if you know who any of you who know this passage know that this is a picture of a bondservant. And oftentimes what would happen in ancient culture is there would be a servant or a slave that was working to pay off his master. And then in the course of events, even as he's serving that master, the time would come when his debt would be fully paid. And at the end of that journey, this bond servant, the servant would actually choose instead of being freed from his master, he would choose to go on and serve his master. Why? Because he found that life serving that master was far better than any life he could ever know. What Jesus is saying is that we must become bond servants. We, we actually become servants of Christ. Because you and I discover that we have come to know a master, listen to this carefully, who being with him and, and serving him is far better than serving anyone else. Amen? Serving Jesus and being with Jesus, that's a life that we could never have asked for. We never could have purchased. No money could buy. But it is a life well lived. And we want to know Christ, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Because we have eternal life with Him. But you see, this is where the entire thing gets flipped on its head, right? Because you would think, now, Jesus is this one who is our master, and He is. But Jesus gives the disciples a picture of himself that blows their minds when he says that he did not come to serve or to be served rather, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, what had happened was these men were walking with Jesus These twelve men walking with Jesus for three and a half years. And Jesus, even to the point of washing their feet, Jesus served them. And then they had witnessed the crucifixion where Jesus said, did exactly what He said He was going to do. He gave His life for them. They witnessed that event. And the resurrection from the dead. They they have now seen the risen Christ who gave Himself entirely for them. And what's happened over the course of three and a half years is the very thing that Jesus did in serving them has become contagious. They've become like him. More like Jesus. And as they walk with him by his spirit, they're becoming more like him as servants every day. And reproducing themselves, making disciples who also follow Jesus and who want to be servants, because all of these people realize, believers realize, that the greatest act of service that has ever been done in our lives is the death of Jesus Christ for our sin. And if Jesus has given Himself for us, why wouldn't we give ourselves completely, pour ourselves out totally for the cause of Christ? This is what we see. This is the life we see in Acts chapter 6. Friend, if you don't know Christ today and you've never experienced salvation in Him, to know Christ as Lord and Savior of of your life, if you've never been served and saved, (laughs) you've never realized who Jesus is, today you can be saved. The Bible teaches that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, all of your sins forgiven, and you will know this one who came to serve you, 
That's the beauty of the gospel. We don't come offering anything to God because we have nothing to offer. Jesus came offering everything for us. Amen. And even as we live our lives now for him, we give all to him. The carryover. Not to earn anything from God, but because we've been known by God. The carryover is to become servants. That's what we see in Acts chapter 6. Thankful, thankful hearts serving out of the overflow of the gospel. I'm thankful for all of the people that we have here at Southwide who serve so faithfully. So many of you. People who are not even with us this morning. Some of you gathered online because of safety and other things. The reality of all of the servants that we have here at Southwide. I'm so thankful. But I just have a question. What if? What if all of us served with all that we have? What if Acts chapter 6, we could just come among us and we could go, hey, we need some people to lead this ministry. And it's almost like, just take your pick. Because everyone here is a valuable servant. Everyone's serving with all of their hearts for the kingdom. Let's just look for standout people whom God is calling to this task. What if this was throughout? It's tragic, isn't it? It's tragic any time in the local church that we have to beg believers to serve. It's tragic whenever we have believers who are striving to find a place where they can go and not have to do anything. Just come in and sing and hear a sermon and leave. When I came to faith in Jesus, my life on the altar, I have been crucified with Christ. My life is no longer my own. In other words, the Christian life is not ultimately about me. It's about Christ. In the church, we have a posture of service not serve us. And any time that is backwards, then the church will begin to be about itself. And the gospel will not go forth. You see, we're about Jesus and His glory. Serving is in the DNA of God's people because Jesus came as our suffering servant. So there are three important truths that we need to see about serving in this passage. Very quickly this morning. Yes, this is a passage that teaches us about the ministry of deacons and the ministry of pastors. But what is it about serving that we need to glean from this passage? Number one, the church must be sensitive to physical and spiritual need. We must be sensitive to physical and spiritual need. Need. And would you agree with me this morning that the needs around us are many? Watching people come in just this morning. Some obviously burdened. Some exhausted from all of the talk of virus and everything else. Ready for all of this to end. Believers are discouraged. 
The world is hopeless. People are afraid. They don't even know what the truth is. We addressed that this week in our prayer time. They don't even know what the truth is or who to turn to get it. And you and I have been given the truth. And we know the one who is the truth. And there needs to be a heightened sensitivity and a great urgency to let that truth be known because of all of the physical and spiritual need around us. It is possible. It is possible as Christians to live our lives even with one another and miss the needs that we have even among us. That's what happened. Verse one. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected. It's not a it's not an intentional thing because they immediately addressed the need never intended to. But isn't it possible that we could do life as the church and we could get so wrapped up in our calendar and our things that we have to accomplish and miss the needs that are right in front of our face? We had time I'd share a story with you and lady just this past um, month, last few weeks, who uh, stumbled upon our front porch. And um, I, I really I really think that she was at the point where she was ready to give up on everything. I don't, I don't know her story. I know she didn't know Jesus. I don't know her story. Um, but nobody had taken the time. Here's what she said to me. No one in my life wants me. I'm a disappointment to everyone I know. And it just broke my heart. Because the only hope she could have that would never disappoint her is Christ. And it is possible because I've done it. It is possible that I might have gone about my day, my work day, and totally missed that she was even standing there. And how many people do we just not see? Even within our own body, how many times do we miss real needs just simply because we, we need to be able to see? What if the prayer of our people here was, God, show me where the needs are? It was a need that was being neglected. And it was due to huge growth. And, and Lord willing, that would be the only reason why we would ever miss needs here is because there's more people than we can keep up with. Praise God for that. And yet it's not the only reason we do. How often do we neglect needs just simply because they go unnoticed? We've got to be sensitive. Sometimes it takes a complaint, doesn't it? Have you ever been there? Sometimes it takes somebody saying, you missed me. Praise God for that. Let's have grace upon one another and let's remind each other of our needs and then ask God to, to fill in those gaps. This is a whole church thing. It's not just a select few. Every one of the church is called together to say, hey, we have a need among us. Let's do something about this. And there are needs, not to mention all of the individual, family, personal kinds of needs that we have. We have this Backyard Kids Club coming up. We need help with that. 
Greeters, you can help Curtis. Curtis hadn't even been able to stand at that front door. He's not even here this morning. He's home, not feeling well. We need greeters. We need people who would be willing to say, you know what? I'll make a pot of coffee and I'll serve it in the mornings. There's projects around here that could be done. We need people in worship care whenever all that starts back up. Projects, student ministry, serving our neighbors, our community, being a part of our life and our community and serving the needs. All of these things we need to be sensitive to need. And so pray for that. Pray for sensitivity and repent from selfishness. So we don't miss these things. Number two, the second lesson that we learn about servant leadership or about servanthood is that the church must appoint servant leadership to oversee ministry. The church must appoint servant leadership to oversee ministry. And so all these different men with weird names. Why these seven men? The whole church participating in this because they recognized the need for appointing leaders. This text has been abused in some ways. On the one hand, it's been abused in an unhealthy way to show an unhealthy view of congregationalism, where the congregation in some way is 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 leading around its leaders and trying to trying to control them. On the other hand, this this this. Uh, text has been used as uh, an abusive way for pastors to say, well, we don't have to do much of anything. We just study the, Bi- the Bible and preach and y'all do all the work. Neither of which is a healthy view of what's described here. It's not totalitarian and it's not pacifism. This is servant leadership and the church must have leadership to oversee it. Servant ministry has varying roles. Right. Varying gifts. The apostles say it's not right that we should give up preaching the word. In other words, as you get to the end, it's not right that we should stop serving people the word in order to serve the physical needs of the people. That's what we're going to call some of you to do, because we can't do all of these things. And so together they serve. And the reason why the word is able to go forth is because these men are relieving the apostles of that duty of serving the tables physically. But it's not limited to just pastors and deacons, is it? Every one of us has a different, unique gifting from the Holy Spirit that we're able to use. And God has wired you in a way. We, we see this in, in 1 Corinthians 12, where there's a gifting and a passion in your heart for ministry. And God has called you to that ministry. And the goal is that you would thrive in that gifting, sometimes doing things that we don't want to do. That's part of it. But that you would thrive in that gifting so that the whole body, eyes and ears and noses and feet and everything else, some of us other parts, everything else, right, would serve and all complement one another as God has fashioned us together. What kind of leaders did they look for? One of good reputation. Character is important. Men who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. We see that expanded later in First Corinthians, or rather in First Timothy chapter 3. And value these roles, role distinctions, by the way. Value this service to the Word and prayer and physical ministry and other things. Value one another. Don't look at one another and say you're not needed because you just do this small part. Rather, we look highly upon every gift 
recognizing it as essential as Christ has given it to the church, all serving in various ways. And so we need leadership in order to organize all of that. And the third thing this morning. The church must serve together for the advancement of the gospel. The church must serve together for the advancement of the gospel. Verse 7 says that the word of God continued to increase. That is my prayer for us every week. That the word of God just simply keeps increasing. That's the story. The story of the early church. At every moment, everything they did, the gospel was still at the very center, the whole heartbeat, the whole point of everything that they did was so that the gospel would go forth. In other words, and they never lacked for worship care for children. (laughs) Why? So the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly into Funiac and many parents became obedient to the faith. And they never lacked for backyard kids club workers. So the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly into Funiac. And many children and families became obedient to the faith. They never lacked for greeters in worship. So the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly. And many guests became obedient to the faith. And they never lacked for connect group leaders. And we could go on and on and on and on. And the word of God increased. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly into Funiac. And many people became obedient to the faith. You fill in the blank with whatever area of service. But never forget the why. You see, the reason why believers stop serving in the church is not because they stop enjoying the work, but because they forget the why. The why is not babysitting. The why is not entertainment. It's not hospitality. It's not program leadership. It's not spot filling. It's not committee leading. The why is the gospel. The why is life change. The why is Jesus. You serve because we have been given a great mission and a great message. And Jesus changes lives. That's why you serve. The the church must serve together because the gospel must be advanced. So that the story that is written through Southwide Baptist Church is that unbelievers are becoming worshipers, connecting together in biblical community, growing in their faith and spiritual maturity and multiplying disciples to the very ends of the earth. That's why we serve. It's the only reason, because not because somebody has to do it, or because nobody else will do it, or because if I don't do it, it won't get done. If that's the reason you serve, you serve for the wrong reason, and let me tell you, you're going to quit. But if you serve because Jesus needs to be known, 
And because when you serve and the body serves together, people come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be the church. And it's not a call on my life and it's not a call on our deacons lives and it's not a call on certain people's lives here. It is a call on the whole body to serve for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. That is the why. I'll never forget the day that we took our entire church family to Pensacola and went to that homeless shelter and we served hearing people come back and sharing what God had done in their heart as a result of being able to serve people who are in need. That's the why. It's powerful. I'll never forget the day that we opened as a hurricane shelter during Hurricane Irma and we had the opportunity to serve people all weekend and then for our worship service, even changing the time and bringing families in to worship with us as some of them were going to Freeport and praying over those families. I'll never forget that. Those lives forever changed. I'm still in contact with people on Facebook as a result of that weekend. Why? Because Jesus changes lives and the why is powerful. I'll never forget Mission to Funiac, where people were impacted, not just the people in our community, but our people were impacted because they had an opportunity to serve others. Backyard Bible clubs and, and just just changed. Even to the point that, that man, we started bringing kids back here. We're, we're just ready to serve these families. Why? Jesus. And because the why is powerful. Here's the bottom line. Those who have been saved by Christ through the gospel are now servants of Christ and others for the sake of the gospel. That's our life. So can I just ask you this morning? Two very simple questions. Number one, have you been saved? Do you know Christ? And I don't, I don't mean that you just simply believe in God. That's not enough. The demons believe in God and they're fearful. I'm asking you this morning, have you been born again? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Has He changed your heart? Have you been utterly created new? Born again, saved by His grace. This morning, we want to call you to come and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning, in just a few moments, when we open up this aisle, you make that first move. Come down this, down this aisle and say today, Pastor, I want to be saved. Will you help me? And I'll help you. Here's the second question. Second question is this. Do you have a place to serve? Are you serving out of a passion for Jesus and in response to His serving you? Or has it become routine? Mundane. Maybe it's not even in the church. Maybe you have a neighbor. Maybe you have coworkers and you just you're just fed up with society. And I think a lot of people are there right now. What if we said instead of being fed up that we're just going to serve one another in the name of Christ and call people to respond to the gospel? Would you bow your heads with me all across this place? This is not ultimately a plea from the pastor, a plea from the church to get nursery workers. Here's what this is. This is a plea from the heart of God to his people to be servants of Christ. Are you a servant of Christ today? 
In just a few moments, we're going to stand. Some of you across this room need to give your life to Jesus today. You need to trust him as your Lord and Savior. Some of you are online in our audience there. You need to trust in Jesus today as your Lord and Savior. He gave his life for you on the cross. Gave his life as a ransom in your place that you might know him. And so in just a few moments when we stand, I want to invite you to come. Right from the place where you'll be standing. Say today, Pastor, I want to trust in Jesus. Maybe from your living room. You reach out to us there via Facebook. We'd love to help you in following Jesus. But today is the day to follow him with your life. Others of you, this altar is going to be open. I want to encourage you to come and recommit your life to serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The one who gave his life for you. Would you stand with me all across the room? Lord, we pray this morning, even as this time of response begins, that we would be faithful to obey you with our lives. Because you are worthy You gave it all. You've paid it all for us that we might know you. So, Jesus, we give our lives to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar's open. You come this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.